I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to be discussing Fulham's 3-0 win over West Brom Saturday lunchtime and Fulham have opened up a gap in the automatic promotion race. It was a glorious day in West London. The sun was shining and the goals were raining down, particularly for the super Serb Alexander Mitrovic with his second hat-trick of the season. I don't think you need me to tell you that he scored 18 and 15, haven't you heard? All the reactions to that today, joined by George Cooper... Hello, Sammy. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Ben Jarman. Hello, everyone. How are we doing? Good. Oh, it's hard to be, really be upset, isn't it? Very, very good. Over the moon. I have been inundated by trick-or-treaters tonight. Literally, no one warned me that moving out of London meant that I'd have to book off the entire evening. So if the doorbell rings <laughs> numerous times throughout the podcast, then I apologise. I've run out of sweets as well. I, I'm going to get egged. We have this problem here as well. We just put three pumpkins out the front of the door, which is basically the equivalent to putting your keys in a bowl at a swingers party because now everyone can come (laughs) round and everyone can knock on the door and you're obliged to give them something you don't want to. So yeah, we also ran out of sweets pretty quickly. This is the best part of living in like in a development, right? Because there's like nine flats behind a gate. Like no one's no one's coming to the back of the development to bound flat nine. Like I tell you that for free. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, was it invented this year? So a lot of, obviously we've got a lot of Americans who might be like, yeah, trick or treaters, get with, get with it. I swear it's a fairly new thing. No, mate, that's not true. No, 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 no not new. treating since I was like four, but like. Well, I, I mean, never went trick or treating as a kid. What do you mean? How did you get sweets? I just didn't, well, I don't know. It wasn't a thing. I swear it was not as popular as it is nowadays. Um, I, I, I think it probably was, mate. I feel like lie. because everyone, everyone was like put inside for a year that now they want to go outside and enjoy stuff like Halloween more than they did before. Whereas I think beforehand it was just a bit whimsical, like, ah, uh, Halloween. Again. I used to go down up and down my road. I probably wouldn't go like a, on a, like a wild tour of the block. But you'd go up and down like the houses near you. Maybe you lived a more wholesome childhood than me. I don't know. I never went trick-or-treating. I, to me, it feels like a new thing. But anyway, alas, here we are. Uh, let's talk about the real thriller this weekend. Hey. The three goals at the cottage against West Brom. And George, you were looking through the three-word reviews. What came in? Oh, it was a good seg, by the way, Sammy. Big fan of that. So, understandably, with the date and the hat-trick, we've had hat-trick-a-treat. And there are far too many people who've come in with that three word review to possibly give credit so all i'm going to say is if you came in with hat trick or treat you know who you are are you um, slating the people that went with hat trick or treat are you no, saying not at all. That- i'm just saying it was it's so good that everyone thought of it uh, sounded a bit snidey to me no 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 none of that mate none of that Some I'm shade early doors in the three word reviews <laughs> from george <laughs> just straight out of the blocks just no not at all well done guys it's a good it's a good pun um okay. taking that also sounded sarcastic but it's not anyway i'm digging <laughs> myself a hole here taking out baggies <laughs> that was thomas ryland jenkins or trj 
Um, Ross McSweeney came up with sound the horn. I th- what were, what were the cat- what were the requirements for the horn? We're not top. We're we have to be top. We have to be top. I'm glad well. you've given me an early chance to just clarify that. <laughs> Sorry, cool. Baggies. I can play a different sound effect. People like you know. A- if people just love the sound effects that much <laughs> you're just the hotkeys have gone to your head mate yeah they really, they really have. have I want a hotkey of Don Bet saying pony for the next podcast <laughs> I will get on it and I want you to then make it into a track like panda it's just both of going like pony 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 right. I can work on that that's great vibes. <laughs> you know he definitely would have by the next pod as well. Anyway, let's, let's, can we get back to three red views, please? Sorry, we, sorry, sorry, go for it. Baggies, Backline, Blunders by Cody Gerrard. Uh, the Onion Bagger, which I quite liked from Nick Bowman, who's obviously speaking about Mitrovic. Very You're good. next, Scotty. There's a little threat from Low Firm. <laughs> um, it's quite intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> Cheat code activated from Doug Bethune. Um, what else do we have here? Mitro statue petition from Mr. Lombard. Uh, riding gift horses from 30 frames. Brilliant. Yeah, good one, that. High Press Finest by Dan W. Uh, Mitro's Oktoberfest by St. Paul Browns. I think Oktoberfest technically is one word, but we we get the gist and we'll let you have that one. Um, that was from St. Paul's Browns. Uh, Cabano and Vibes from Joe Kent 5. Uh, Cabano's definitely our vibiest player, uh, it has to be said. Uh, and just great football. Just great football from from Jay Barringer five. So thanks very much everyone who got in touch with the three web reviews. Overwhelmingly positive and uh, yeah, vibes all round. Thank you very much. Belgrade bangs baggies. Smile. <laughs> you got to tweet it if it's gonna if it's gonna get into. Well, the I podcast. thought I was on ears. I thought I'd just bring it up when I when I came on. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, ben, I'll start with you and I'll actually use that last three word review to uh, prompt my first response from you. Just great football. Just great football. Just brilliant football, mate. Brilliant vibes all round. I think yesterday was was a really good day for Fulham against uh, a team that is obviously seen as one of our massive promotion rivals. And I think we swept them aside with ease. I think uh, potentially 3-0 is a little bit of gloss on a performance that at times it's a little bit shaky. And also, again, Fulham had that 10 to 15 minutes after they went 1-0 up where they didn't really look to build on that one goal advantage. Uh, and it wasn't until Robert Snodgrass... Um, made that slight error after great pressing from Jean-Michel Serri that, you know, we did make that advantage count. But yeah, I think for us, it's uh, it's a really positive step and obviously three three clean sheets on the bounce now, I believe. Um, so again, yeah. another massive step for us. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Jack, we got off to a pretty good start. The penalty, it's not a penalty, is it? No, it's not. Um, it's not a dive, though. As I was seeing, you know, there's a, a bit of things in the in the chats and in the in the Twitter threads today, being like, "Do you think Mitrovic should be given a two game ban for diving?" But like, well, no, because it's not a dive. He gets tackled, and there's contact. And the, look, I think the ball is got. I think that's fair enough. You can suggest that it's a fair tackle without making it into, "Oh, he's had to dive to win it." There's no appeals. The ref gives it. You know, it's ultimately what you what you've got to kind of live with. And to be honest, you look at the amount of penalties early on in this season that we weren't given, and you know, I'm not a huge fan of the whole everything evens it out over the course of the season because I don't think it's quite true. But on the whole, I think things tend to work out, especially in this division, uh, a, a little bit more fairly than perhaps they do in the Premier League. So, look, I think I think Fulham, I'll, I'll be honest, and I have slight disagreement on the first one. I don't think we were very good yesterday. Um, and and maybe the best bit about that is that we didn't need to be. 
because even at not very good and not hugely effective and quite, I thought we were quite uh, disparate in parts of our game. Nothing seems to be clicking. I, I didn't think there were huge amounts of players apart from Mitrovic and Reem who had great games. Um, but on, on top of that, you go, okay, and you can still win 3-0 against the side who are third in the table and supposed to be the next best team in this division behind us and, and early leaders Bournemouth. Okay, fine. You take that at will every single time. And arguably, I think that makes it more impressive. Yeah, and didn't play that well, I would agree. Still had the highest expected goals this weekend in the entire division yeah, by some margin. Of course. Does include a penalty, which is a penalty, which was not a penalty, still, right? So you got to look at that. It's still a ridiculously like good statistic for a side that didn't play amazingly. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's what a position to be in. What what's going to happen when we do play well? Oh, well, I mean, we'll, I think we've seen we us play We probably won't well. score three goals. We'll yeah, we'll draw win one nil, nil with, like, Peterborough. <laughs> <laughs> next, next Saturday, when we all go to Peterborough, we're going to play absolutely out of our skin and lose 1-0. Can't wait, can't wait. Um, George, um, do you agree? Do you think there was it was a bit of a okay performance, but great result? Look, it, it, again, we, we took our chances when they came. And Mitrovic only had four touches in the opposition box. And I know one of them is almost a penalty, but he came away with a hat-trick. And yeah, no, I think it, it it flatters us, the scoreline, definitely. But as Jack said, we didn't, we didn't need to be that good. It was, it, we, luck, we were fortuitous. Luck went our way, you know, with the, with the back pass from Snodgrass. And we capitalised on a bit of class and a bit of luck. And then ultimately, that was, it was all that was needed. I think that West Brom had their chances and we had our sort of customary 10-minute spell where you know, we we were sort of like at senses. This was before the sending off. You know, I think Rodak made a couple of um, good saves uh, to prevent Matt Clark um, the, the header, um, and then Carl Bartley had a couple of good chances. But once we weathered that storm, it's only really a ten minute spell that I ever thought West Brom looked dangerous. And yes, we know they're going to be a physical side, and they had the aerial threat. But other than that, it was a it was a very comfortable win, and it was just it was just a good good fun game all round. I mean, you know, you got to take luck when it comes our way. You know, as Fulham fans, we know it doesn't always go our way. And yeah, so um, I think we deserve to win. You can't you can't yeah, question absolutely. that. Yeah. And also the one thing on the penalty is it's hard to know if this would really have happened had the referee not blown his whistle. But there is a challenge from Bartley on a doy straight after um, he gives away the penalty penalty in inverted commas on Mitrovic that is actually not the best tackle. And I think maybe could have been a penalty in itself um, on a doy just later if you watch the replay. Um, the second goal, though, Jarms, I mean, Mitrovic has scored three lucky goals in three games. But the thing is, I don't think it is luck because that's anticipation from Mitrovic. Yes, it's a bad back pass, but I guess I think against nearly every side in the league, Robert Snodgrass gets away with that and Sam Johnston gets to the ball. It's just because Mitrovic's anticipation there is sensational. Yeah, I do. I do agree with that. But I think the the... The impact of Seri in this goal is possibly understated because he put Snodgrass under so much pressure when it initially Snodgrass thought he had all the time in the world, but he actually doesn't because Seri presses him so high and gets that little nick on the ball, which therefore slows it down. But yeah, I think Mitrovic being on his toes, which is something we fundamentally did not see from him last year, is the difference between what we're seeing this season versus last. And the finish is assured. Yes, Johnston is well out of position, but you know, as you say, the anticipation to put the chance away 
is everything we're looking for from Mitrovic this season. And, you know, 18 goals in 15 games really underlines how important he is to us. And obviously two, two hat-tricks in very, very sort of like recent times. Again, like he's a cut above in this league and he's scored more goals than a hatful of teams already. And it's just turning November, which is bewildering. Yeah, uh, the teams... The teams that Mitrovic has scored more goals than in the championship. Well, he scored the same amount of goals as Swansea and Blackpool. And he's scored more than Middlesbrough, Bristol City, Preston, Peterborough, <laughs> Millwall, Birmingham, Cardiff, Derby, Barnsley and Hull. Barnsley and Hull combined only have one more goal than Mitrovic. Um, it's <laughs> was, just an, um, it's an insane record. I was reading um, a match report in The Guardian about... Um, and I was just looking through the comments because I wanted to see the, the sort of like public opinion and stuff. And there's one comment that really stuck with me is um, as a neutral, I watch Fulham a lot and have seen Mitrovic get nothing from certain refs as he's kicked, pulled and bullied by various in, um, industrial championship centre halves. Today, he was an excellent number nine, got a penalty without diving. I wouldn't have given it, but there are many softer ones given every week. Led the line and held the ball up brilliantly. And whilst he can be petulant on occasion, he's an old school football hero who will happily be picked up by a number five after being bullied to the floor. Uh, as a younger member of my family describes him, he is a cheat code for the championship. And I think I just start like, he's just, he's our talisman and I, I love him as does the entire fan base. He's, everyone's got that respect for him. You know, he's he's just, people like to watch Mitrovic play and we are genu- genuinely honoured to have a striker of his calibre in our in this league because there is just no one better. He's the top scorer in all four divisions, I think, isn't he? He must be. By, by, by a long by, way by as a, well. By a mile. By, by eight. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just crazy. It's absolutely mental. And yeah, long may this rich vein of form continue. He's got 20 goals and 19 appearances for club and country since August. It's just it's just mad. And yeah, we're I think piss the league is is, is steering steadily back on track. Oh God! Oh no! Why have you <laughs> my, said that? Why have you done that? We've, we've done our that. tweet, our tweets again. God, <laughs> I mean, back on Mitrovic though. That celebration for the third is, oh, is just, iconic. it's just iconic. Um, yeah. Jack, it was, it was lovely work, work as well from Wilson, an, an underrated hero in this side. I feel like um, a sixth assist of the season now for, for <laughs> Harry Wilson. Twinkle toes on the byline, pulls it back for Mitrovic. He's the real star of that third goal. Oh, absolutely. It's all Wilson, the the goal. The the funny bit about that is just Wilson didn't play very well and still was able to come up with that moment of magic. And he has that in his locker, right? Where he can drift out of games. He can not be able to to take advantage. And I think the way that West Brom set up with a, with an extra wing back who was able to track meant that Harry Wilson was a little bit isolated at times. And he, he often ended up one against two. And, and, you know, ultimately not everyone can be Cabano every time that there's one. You, you got two men in front of you and just flip flap through the middle of them. But um. <laughs> You know, you, you take this at kind of face value and Wilson felt like he was a little bit out of the game. And I was wondering if he was going to be the first player pulled. And then suddenly he gets that one moment in the box, that one moment of quality. He's able to dance along the byline and pull it back. And suddenly Mitrovic has, has been presented with the easiest chance that he's going to score. Well, apart from the second one, right? All day. Um, but th- then you look at you know, how that kind of transpires and, and his work rate and the fact that he kept tracking. And there was an early moment where Dennis Adoy got ended up with the, with the two on one. And I was saying, you know, Wilson needs to get back into there. And he actually did ended up getting back into those positions and really working hard. And I think that was maybe my favorite thing about that second half in that Harry Wilson was able to to get back and, and, and help out in a defensive aspect. And then when that chance came, obviously he's the man who gets Darnell Furlong sent off because he's the one who's gone over the top to, to, to receive that 
pass and, and, and get away from the defender. And then also he creates the third goal. And I think put those two things into the context of if you do nothing in a match apart from get the center, get an opposition defender sent off and create a goal, that's not a bad return if you're having a bad game. Well, that was something that Peter told us from his time at Bournemouth. He, he had, I think, over 10 goals and 10 assists in the Premier League. And Peter was like, for like large sort of the season, he didn't do a lot, but he he still managed to kind of get those numbers. So maybe we're starting to see that with Harry Wilson. And look, if he, if he keeps posting the numbers in a side like us at the moment, maybe that's more of a problem for next year if he doesn't kind of pull his weight and stuff. But I think in this side, he can get away with it. Um, ben Cabano, uh, a, a, a weird performance. There was the flip-flap. Um, where he sent two West Brom defenders packing, which is maybe one of the best things that I've ever seen. If that man could finish, my God, <laughs> we'd honestly have like the Ballon d'Or winner with, on, on our hands. Be some player, wouldn't he, if he could stick the ball in the back of the net? Yeah. Um, I think Cabano's had a bit of a resurgence in the past, sort of like under the tenure of Marco Silva. I think he's he's been a really key cog to everything we're trying to achieve. And I think he's finally giving us some natural width in the team that, Last season looked very, very uh, lacking ideas in those wide positions. Um, I think that last year was a struggle to see anything being made out wide and anything creative um, coming from those wider areas. Whereas this year, Cabano and Wilson have have combined very, very nicely um, to create lots of chances for Mitrovic. And I think Cabano, as as we're saying, is like someone that's so adept in this league. He's he's found his feet really very well. Um, he's always had that great close control and that pace and the incision to get in behind those little channels. And again, I think he's got a very under, understated delivery. And I'm not the biggest fan of Cabano, as I'm sure many of the people who listen to this podcast will bring up um, after this in the comments. But um, yeah, I think like this season he's he's come on leaps and bounds. And I think that's what happens when you have a manager who's got so much confidence in you. Um, and I think that he'll continue to play a really key role for us. And I also really liked his link up with um, Bobby Deckard over Reed this this past game as well. I thought that they had some really good chemistry, and I think they clearly enjoy playing with each other. And there's a nice interchanging of the positions. I just wanted to comment on Bobby's game because I think the while we gave some props to Harry Wilson for getting Darnell Furlong sent off the ball to him from Bobby Duckard over Reed's exquisite. Yeah, and amazing. then also the the ball into the channel for Harry Wilson in the in the lead up to Mitrovic's third goal as well. It's a little like clip ball into the channel is also some great vision. I think Bobby has, is operating really well from that 10. And I think that one of the reasons why we haven't missed Carvalho too much in the last few games is that he's finally sort of bed himself into that position that requires you to do a lot of things very well and I think he's just got that confidence to do it all now yeah 100% I mean Jack I saw some West Brom fans saying that the red card was harsh I didn't think it was harsh I thought that I I much as I'll give them that the penalty was a bad decision I thought that that was a clear red card I think he gets the ball um whether he takes the man out first is a different question and I would suggest it's probably a yes I don't think it's the worst decision in the world if it hadn't been a red card if he'd booked him I think we would have been like okay fair enough um but ultimately you get away with a red card the snodgrass one which is an awful challenge mm. um you know the clothesline across the face and uh, we saw them get away with that so i think a little bit swings and roundabouts in that regard because the the red card was you know if there if there wasn't one red card there should have been another and we can we can almost certainly live with that um as far as i'm concerned but when you kind of go with it and you look at what's happening i just want to make sure that we start to use the phrase the Keben, the Cabernet um, because that's what we're going to be referring to uh, Cabano's return to form as from now on. That clothesline is something that one of 
Tony Khan's AEW superstars would have been proud of. It was just ludicrous. <laughs> How, you know, you see baggy fans sort of complaining about that red and you just think, come on, take it, take it and leave it, you know? The thing is about some of the complaints about the ref. Yes, the penalty's dodgy and that does set us on our way. It's a big moment in the game, but I still think that Fulham more than deserve to win this match. And as you say, there were a few referee calls that did go their way there, particularly um, that challenge. Uh, one referee call that didn't go our way, but I thought it was fair enough, Coops, was um, as Sky Sports called him yesterday, Tosin Adarioyo, um <laughs> getting a red oh, card. That's bad. That's not... <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, well, oh, um, moments. Um, also, he's known as just, like, if you're unsure... He's literally he, put Tosin he, on the back of his shirt. just to be referred to as Tosin. Like, surely that's a get-out-of-jail-free card if ever there was one. Just anyway. call him Tosin, lads. It's um, literally any- for this reason as well. I know, I know. I feel, I do feel, we, we probably shouldn't make fun of it because he literally obviously was annoyed enough to be able to, to change the name on his back of his shirt. But anyway, um, it is a red card, George. I thought he had such a good game yesterday. Potentially man of the match worthy display. Uh, I mean, in uh, football manager terms, a red card always puts your performance rating down a, a couple, which probably does take, the, I mean, also we have a player that scored a hat trick. But anyway, it's one of those red cards that five years ago isn't a red card. These days is kind of got to deal with it. Three games is a lot, um, a, a big blow for us though, to, to not have him. Oh, 100%. I mean, when foot over the ball into the ankle, it's always going to be a red card. But the, the thing that was so disappointing about it is that, you know, you're 3-0 you're up at that point, dying embers of the game. You argue, was it really needed? And well, of course it wasn't. And yeah, the, I mean, the three game ban is obviously problematic. It's going to be really interesting to see how Marcus Silva lines up his defence in his absence because he has been such an integral part of our back four. But yeah, he was he was sensational. You're right. He was, you know, proper man of the match performance. He's just so composed and you can, it's the mark of a really good centre-back in that he never is totally unflappable. His positioning is excellent. He never seems to have to like run or anything he's always just there ready to scoop up any sort of misplaced pass interceptions without it just makes it look so easy and he's, he's going to be a real loss for us but yeah I wonder are we going to see the return of Mawson do you reckon he can string three games together well I imagine we're gonna we're gonna have come on to this because there'll be some questions on it I imagine Savvy so maybe we'll, I'm, we'll I'm happy I'm happy to come I'm happy to come onto this now as 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 it's there. So uh, Jack asks, what do we think our ideal backline is without Tosin for the next three games? Adoy was great yesterday, can play centre-back, so maybe him at centre-back with Tete at right-back. I 100% think this is the time for Hector, for Michael Hector. I think that we saw Mawson and Ream play together at Coventry and we saw how that happens. I think Mawson's great. I don't think this is a slight on Mawson. I think it's the the combination of Mawson and Ream that I don't think should be allowed to happen. I think everyone forgets that Ream and Hector were one of the best centre-back pairings I've seen at Fulham in a long time, less than two years ago. I know that Hector's stock has fallen considerably, but it seems like a no-brainer. We need a right-sided centre-back. Michael Hector can play really well alongside Tim Ream. It, to me, Jack, it, uh, earlier in the season that Hector lacks fitness, it probably wouldn't have been an option. Now, though, I, I personally think that's a no-brainer, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I don't think it's a no-brainer. I think that would be a bit mad considering that we've we've not seen too much of Michael Hector in a while. And, and yes, you're right, his stock has fallen. I would agree with you, though, um, but not for the same reasons. Um, I think that you lose Tosin, you lose the aerial presence that's been so massive. And, you know, yesterday, Tosin must have headed away, you know, 30 crosses. Um, and I think that Michael Hector gives you a little bit more in that department than, than Alfie Mawson does. I prefer Mawson, as you say, on, on the left-hand side uh, of a of a 
middle pairing. And I think that that's probably where I would stick him in if I had to. Um, so I would potentially go for Hector just because it gives you that aerial you know, presence. It gives you that little bit of um, security in, in that regard. Um, and, uh, you know, when you look at that and you think, yes, they've played together before Hector and Reem Shaw um, and given the, the Mawson thing and, and how it kind of played out at Coventry, I, I think it's probably worth to shout considering that Michael Hector was pretty good in that Leeds game uh, in the cup. He did all right. He's not brilliant with the ball. Um, and I think we have to kind of come to terms with that quite quickly because there were a couple of times there where he tried to play long passes and they went straight out of play. Um, so then we're going to lose that distribution element of it from, from that respect. But if we're going to come up against teams who are going to try and bully us in the air and try and get things aerially and get joy in that regard in the same way that we saw West Brom try and do yesterday, I think Hector's probably the more natural replacement for Tosin in, in, in that in that sense. Um, ben, your your opinion on who should um who should deputise for Tosin? Congolo season. <laughs> big man, I mean, big I'd, love man. To, I'd love to see. I don't think it's going to though. Congolo doesn't, he doesn't exist. He, do, he does not real. He's not real. He played he played for uh, the twenty threes the other evening. Yeah, and he, he's already. Did he not come saying, off? <laughs> No, he's. I don't know. He's he. Uh, he tweeted the other day, "Kong back season." So, for me, I'm I'm on board. No, um, I'd like to see Alfie Mawson, but uh, I do agree that he doesn't work particularly well on that right hand side. Um, yeah. Um, so, for, I think for once it might be time to get the band back together and, and go for Reem and Adoy with uh, Kung Fu Kenny at right back and then um, Robinson at left back. I think that'd be that'd be quite nice. <laughs> I no, I don't think I ever want to see that again. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, what Reeman Adoy back together? Yeah, no. I look. I, I love. I love Tim Reeman. I love Dennis Adoy, and I think he's been a great servant. But Dennis Adoy's positioning is just all over the place, and was again yesterday. Yeah, Adoy no, had an rapid, okay so game. Matter. He had an okay game, um, but just on the whole every time anyone is running at him i am terrified constantly terrified that he's going to give away a penalty um i, I just think that we're going to need some with a little bit more height in there and i think you keep dennis as that kind of option to fall back on as, as a right back when tete comes back in here let's keep the good memories of reem and adoy ben let's not spoil it with some kind of comeback okay. tour that isn't quite as it's good like as the when rolling the- stones yeah they should stop i saw them now it's like yeah. Cristiano going back to Manchester United. To be fair, that's that's vaguely working. Yeah, um, let's. Well, let's, it's well. <laughs> I think it'll work. Hundred percent, it'll work better than if they start against Blackburn on Wednesday, Ben. But <laughs> we shall see. Um, George, your thoughts? Um, I I would have to agree with Jack on this one. I think we need the aerial presence, and I think Hector has a slight edge over Mawson in that regard. Um, Adore it right back. Yeah, I'd slip Hector back in, to to be honest, cool. and try and bring back shades of a couple of seasons ago when they were just unstoppable. Also, Ben, I thought you right. as a Cop America um, expert and aficionado would know better than to underestimate Ben Burris and Diaz. Well, I know that, well, obviously there's there's no underestimating Chile's premier bagsman and, f- <laughs> and face of Pepsi in South America. I mean... <laughs> He's such a great player that we should probably get Maldini and Nestor out of retirement, register them for the game <laughs> in the hopes that, that someone could stop him because, you know, there's no stopping this guy. Where's that um, night when you need him? That's what I Exactly. <laughs> but where's Zesh Raymond? We could probably get him out. Alan Gomer must be kicking around somewhere. <laughs> I mean... 
I've got oh, a mate. number for um, Fernando Amor Bieta if you want me to, uh, <laughs> want me to get him back down the cottage. South American oh, would know man. how to deal with a Chilean threat as well. He'd yeah. certainly kick him in the head like he did with Messi. So I mean, <laughs> if it works for Messi, it'll work against Brereton Diaz. Similar players. Similar players. PTSD from Bieta. Yeah. Well, look, a massive win for us. It gives us a four-point cushion over West Brom into third. There's still five points up to Bournemouth after they won again. Um, I'm still annoyed by the stat doing the rounds that they've had the best start in championship history. This league did not start in 2004, for the love of God. We had more points than them at this stage in 0001, right? The Premier League stats, I can just about understand. The league changed size. Let's not start comparing the championship back to 2004, please. Um, but anyway, uh, Jack, the the gap to West Brom feels like a milestone, really. Obviously, there's so much football left to go. I'm not here arrogantly saying that the top two is in the bag, to quote your phrase. But I think it's really, really important. And with some simpler games coming up, barring Blackburn, this is the chance now for Fulham to pull away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I think if you look at our form since the turn, since the international break, and we, we spoke about this being a really crucial period, four games, 12 points, scored 13, conceded one, right? This is, it's been a really, really productive little period for us. If we can get these next three games, you know, done and dusted here and then go, right, we'll we'll take this and, and, and get through this spell without tossing. If you could pick up nine points from these next three games and, you know, close off this break as a as a perfect little period, um, I think then Fulham will be in a, in a really, really good place. And I think that that will be not enough to secure it. I don't think, you know, what I said there is, is, is saying that it's all going to happen. But ultimately, we spoke on the last pod on, on Thursday and spoke about the fact that if you get two points a game, you know, if we're, we're averaging two points every game from here to the end of the season, uh, I think that will be enough to get us up and, you know, to get a good run going and use utilize. There are going to be blips. There are going to be bumps in the road. You know, while we're in this rich vein of form and while we're playing, not necessarily well, but we're playing really, really com- comprehensively is, is how I'd put it. And we, we look, I don't think at any point in the last four games have I thought we weren't going to win the game. So maybe when QPR equalised, but you know, as soon as we went ahead again, I said, you know, we're not going to throw this away from here. Um, and and since then, it really has felt like Fulham have been relatively comfortable throughout most of these games. We should we need to take advantage of that. Make sure that we see off this next couple just to to really kind of hammer home how good this period has been. Um, and then it just puts us in a good stead in terms of where we are and and how we're feeling about points and and how how kind of much that gap is by the time we get towards the kind of Christmas turn. 100%. Well, look, brilliant win against West Brom and we've got some fantastic questions coming up from you guys to so stick around. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as um, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with George Cooper. Hello, Sammy. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Ben Jarman. Hello, Samuel James. Um, George had to pop out during the first part of that podcast because he got a very exciting merch delivery, which we're uh, about to announce. And I mean, some of this merch out of this world, 
It is top, top-notch clobber, let me tell you. Cut me open, I bleed merch. We've got some exciting... Uh, we've got an exciting range just about to drop, you know, just in time for London Fashion Week. Exactly. Um, also, uh, speaking of uh, Fulhamish admin, so we're doing... For the first time, this is a bit of an experiment and Farrell's organising, so who knows how it will go. But um, we're doing a Fulhamish away day. Um, now, I want this not to sound as cringe as maybe that title does. Yeah, you've but... it hard. <laughs> we just said at the beginning of the season, we wanted to get as many kind of Fulhamish contributors basically to go to the same away day as possible. So we chose Peterborough and I think, 15 or so, like, you know, writers, people that are on the podcast, people who do some of our videos are going to Peterborough away. It's obviously a popular one. And we found a bar in Peterborough and it's pretty informal. We found a pub. If you want to join us in the pub, come join us. That's it. Basically, we might also find another pub when we come back to London. So if you fancy coming to the pub with us, it's no tickets or admission or anything else like that. It's just we all fancied going to an away day and we thought we'd put the message out on the podcast as well. We're probably not going to even put this on social media, really, because we want this just to be people that listen to the pod every week uh, to come and join us in Peterborough. So the bar is called Charters Bar which I've been told is a boat. It's the most Farrell Monk booking that I have ever heard. It's called Charizard. No, Charter's Bar. <laughs> it's a real ale boat. It's six minutes from the Western Homes Stadium. Oh, it's going to be good fun. It's very on brand for Fulham, I think. It's, we, need, we need to find the, 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 bougiest, the bougiest possible, possible place. I was convinced go. it's the 6th of November. It is the 6th of November, isn't yeah. it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's Saturday. Excellent. As you can tell, Farrell Monk's organised this because no one knows what the hell's going on. But anyway, Charters Bar, it's a boat. They sell real ale. It's six minutes from the ground. I think we've booked a table. So I don't know if that's going to be enough, really, to cater the demand. Maybe it is, and it will just be me, Farrell, and George and Ben uh, sat <laughs> on a boat um, having, a, uh, having a pint of bitter. But anyway, if you're going to Peterborough, come along. That's the cell. Let's get into some questions. Um, and we'll start off with Drexian Wavejumper. I still love that name. He asks questions regularly and I, 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 I want to know what that name means. Yeah, Drexian. I want to know what that means as well. I met him at Sainsbury's on the Upper Richmond Road. He came and said hello and mentioned that he listened to the pod and told me, oh, okay. So, so if you're listening, all right, mate. Thanks for what? getting in touch. Let's have this question. What, what is a Drexian? You know? Yeah, did he explain his name while he was, was he was as no, 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 he didn't he didn't get into that, I'm afraid. But he Dre- was very Drexia lovely chap. Is a American electronic duo from Detroit, Michigan. Do we think that's it? Probably. Maybe. His his bio says Fulham Olympic Leone, the Drexian connection. So who knows? But anyway, his question is, do the team need to start spreading out the goals more? Wilson and Cabano are hugely creative, but frequently miss good chances. If Mitro has a spell out of the team, could we become blunted? Um, I'm still not forgiving Niskin Sport Cabano for somehow how that chance that he got in the second half didn't even end up close to the net. Um, it is a little bit of a worry, Jarms, that basically if Mitrovic isn't on the pitch, we don't seem to score that many goals. He's got a big international break coming up for Serbia where they're effectively a win against Portugal away from the World Cup. Um, it does feel a little bit like two seasons ago where we are not relying on Mitrovic, but we're getting close to that point. 
Yes, uh, I think you have a, a very good point there. Sorry, I'm a little bit distracted because I was Googling Drexican Wave Jumper and I found out that Drexia have a song called Wave Jumper and I'm going to listen to it after the podcast. No, but okay. I do I do agree. We are very, very reluctant on Alexander Mitrovic at this point. Um, I think that a couple of our players, notably Harry Wilson, he admitted it himself in the game, in the post-match interviews on Sky after the game that he, by his own admission, can't hit a barn door at the moment. So um, I think that his there are certain elements of Fulham that need to keep firing. Um, and as Jack alluded to earlier in the podcast, we didn't play particularly well yesterday and we still won 3-0. And obviously a lot of that is on the shoulders of Alexander Mitrovic. But the telling tale will come when Mitrovic has an injury or, as you say, he comes back from international duty and he's slightly tired. And it's going to be up to other people to to step up. And I think that that being said, there's certainly another argument to this point where you realise that our back, our, our four men behind Mitrovic um, are always going to have the quality to score goals. And yes, Cabano le- left a couple out there this weekend, but then you also have the goal scoring talent of Bobby Reid, who obviously did it last year and, and knows where the net is. Um, you also have someone like Wilson comes back to the boil and then... Uh, Obviously, you've got Carvalho coming back, um, and and they. I'm sure we'll get to this in the questions later, but it sounds like he's getting closer and closer to signing that new deal, and hopefully, we see him more and more over the course of the season. Can we talk about Rodrigo Minez? Like, we've got a player who is, you know, drawn comparison to Mitrovic, and it, you know, big name saying everyone's getting very excited about him, and he's not even been mentioned in the in the sort of prospect of a potential replacement if Mitrovic were to get injured are you banking are you banking on him to score though I I like he's good one for the future but but he's he's an option is he not I just I just don't understand this kind of like hype surrounding him if we're not going to give I know he came on he came on um on Saturday for a little run out but it's just I remember you've spoken about it before Sammy the sort of glamour that's associated with Brazilian signings and stuff but this 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 guy is just kind of I don't I don't see what his sort of um actually like we're not even considering him as a, an option in this stage like is what's what's the appeal with him why can't we why can't can we I, give him a shot can I just quickly have my two cents like the, the thing that's res- reserving me about passing judgment on Muniz is purely because of his background in Brazil like I think we've spoken about this a few times on the podcast and Peter's touched on it on the podcast as well is that Brazil has such a very weird league structure that the games that Muniz has played and scored in are basically games against anywhere from teams, anywhere from amateur to sort of professional level. And he scored in the state championships, which is something that notoriously bigger teams like Flamengo, Corinthians, uh, Santos, they don't particularly care about. They're kind of throwaway games. And that's where Muniz was scoring and doing all of that good work. In in the in the Serie A and the Copa do Brasil, he just didn't really feature at all. And if he did, it was it was sub games. And I get that he was behind Gabi Gol, who's one of Brazil's best strikers at the moment. But there's always for me when you get a, how many Brazilian wonder kids have there been that never end up being anything. And this is the thing that is also like making me reserve judgment on Muniz is that you know it, it, I can't really see a Brazilian wonder kid being incredible for Fulham and maybe it's just I'll, I'll run with people from South America but they've never been brilliant for us I mean probably proved me wrong in, in one second I just think at this season I can't see him being prolific I think that I, it seems like a sensible signing a year or two down the line but I think if he had to sit in for Mitrovic every week Jack I wouldn't be massively confident 
No, but I also think that there's a, there's a level to this that I would suggest that if Mitrovic did get crocked tomorrow, it would be Muniz that starts, right? And uh, they, he would start most games. I think that is genuinely where we're at at the moment. That's the point I think we've we we would be at because he's been brought in, obviously, yes, with an eye on the future, but he's the one who comes off the bench every week. He's the player that that's coming in to to rotate and make that work. So uh, I do think that George got a point. If it did come to that, and then the Muniz would be the one leading the line. Now, does that answer the question? Probably not, because we don't actually know what what that would what that would be like, what that would land, where we'd be with, with how it kind of worked out. But ultimately, I think we're looking at, at something that that makes sense in a in a long term perspective. But we'd be chucking a little bit of an unknown in there. What I'd be expecting at the moment is that. If Mitrovic did go through, and let's not even say got injured, it's not necessarily about that. It's if he goes through a barren spell, right? It can happen. Players are confident. You know, there are there are certain times where the goals don't quite work and things aren't flowing in the way that they might usually. Um, and then when you look at all of those things in in, in kind of cat tandem, what you need is the players around to step up. And look, I think where we where we're looking at is that currently Alexander Mitrovic has scored fifty percent of Fulham's goals, but Fulham have also scored thirty six in the championship, right? We're looking at this as a as how we are. And that's pretty much, what, 10 more than anyone else? Now, part of that is Mitrovic being on ludicrous form. And part of it is that there are also, even without that, Fulham has still scored 18 goals in the championship that are not Alexander Mitrovic. And then when you look at that in the kind of general context, the last time Fulham scored 64, 26 of them were Alexander Mitrovic over the course of a season. Um, I think we, we were looking at that, Right now, we've only played 15 games and we're over halfway to, to what we hit last time round um, and Mitch, when Mitrovic scored 26. So I think there is an element that we are reliant on him, but I also think that there, as players get more confident, as we start to see Fabio Carvalho return, Tom Kearney get back into this side, we're going to see more people start to pick up goals. Last time out, Tom Kearney got eight, right? And yes, he played a lot more games. But on the whole, I think we, we saw those goals shared out probably... Uh, a little bit more towards the back end of the season. It was actually Mitrovic that stepped up when we, we really needed him, sure. But ultimately, I think that this team has enough quality that the goals will be shared around. I think that that percentage of what Mitrovic scores, even if Mitrovic goes on to score 40 goals this season, which I think is a little bit strong, I think Fulham will score more than 80 goals across the course of this campaign. And and therefore, I would suggest that we are, we are currently overperforming in terms of what Mitrovic is hitting in terms of our full goal tally, if that makes sense. Do you know what the weirdest thing is? With if Mitrovic got injured, I'd obviously be concerned about Fulham's promotion prospects, but I also just want to see him like beat Guy Whittingham from Portsmouth's forty-two goals in a season in ninety-three. I want to see him get sixty goals in an entire season. It's only the stats that I I really want him just just keep on going. Um, let's come on to some other questions. Arthur Duke asks: Has Cabano cemented his place in the first eleven, and where does Fabio fit? in. Right now, I see it difficult to shift a front four of Mitro, Cabano, Wilson and Bobby Decker, Dover-Reed. Um, Coops, we saw Fabio and TC both come on the pitch for the last 10 minutes yesterday, which was the most bit of vibes kind of substitution I've ever seen from Marco Silva. Just, you know, 3-0 up against our main promotion rival. And we're just going to give some players a run out now for the last 10 minutes and uh, see this one out. Um, it's, it's hard to shift 
them. There, there, there are not many places going. TC lost his place back to Reed. I mean, what a fantastic position to be in. But also, if you'd have asked me a month ago that would Fabio Carvalho struggle to get back into this side, my answer would have 100% been no. But I don't really know who deserves to lose their place at the moment. Yeah, it's as you said, it's a ridiculously privileged position to be in and you know I mean how often do you get such a sort of plethora of attacking talent in one side in the season and I no, I totally agree it's, it's very hard to see where he's going to come back in I think I think Fabio he's just a sort of generational talent and I think we need to make the most of him while we still have him because I feel like the fan base has kind of um, accepted that we're not going to see him for a that many more seasons, you know, um, with all the clubs that are linked with him that are after him. And uh, he's not going to come straight back in, I don't think. As you said, that that front four is, uh, you know, very, very difficult to shift. I think Cabano's more than at this place. He gives us the directness and, and the trickery. And then Wilson, you're obviously not going to drop, are you? I think that what we will see, this would be my prediction, is that uh, Fabio introduced more and more from a substitute position and then uh, ultimately take over Bobby at that number 10. But I mean, it's, it's really, you feel really bad for Bobby because he's, He's not really put a foot wrong and he's really made that position his own. But that would be my prediction. And then Kearney coming on as um, as a substitute appearance like we saw on the likes of Saturday. But I genuinely think that that's the way it will pan out. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear your boys' thoughts. But I think that um, ultimately, yeah, Fabio will get introduced incrementally and then ultimately take over at number 10, but stay the same as it was on Saturday other than that. I think we kind of forget that there's loads of games in this league. You need to rotate. And we've just come off a period where Fabio Carvalho was out for an extended period. Cavaleiro's obviously got himself injured. We're looking at Tom Kearney coming back from a long-term injury. There are going to be players that roll in and out of injury periods throughout this year. We, I think it almost kind of, yes, if everybody's fit all the time, then maybe you have a bit of a selection headache. But I just don't think that's going to be the case. Not with the amount of games that Fulham have to play in the championship from here to the end of the season. One, you're going to need natural rotation anyway, because we've got a lot of players and a lot of game load. But two, players will just get injured. Like that's just how it, that was just how it happens, mm. right? Like stuff happens every season. There's never been a season where everyone's gone through and been like, oh, we had no injuries whatsoever. So I think that it's a, uh, it's a good problem to have. As you say, Kearney's now starting to play a little bit deeper as well. And we've seen him do that in, in, in various seasons. Obviously we saw it in Scott Parker's promotion season in the championship as well, playing as part of that double pivot um, and kind of looking at how that pans out. But I wouldn't, I don't think we need to worry about how, deep we are as a squad and if we've got too many players and who loses their place I think the natural rotations will just work themselves out and and it's a it's a really good position to be in that you can bring back in a Fabio Carvalho you can bring back in a Tom Kearney you can bring back in all of these players who can move around that kind of three behind the striker and are able to play in numerous positions we saw Fab play wide obviously which obviously he wouldn't ideally do but it was the just the way that the game was was panning out um, and when all of that is kind of taken into account I just think it all kind of naturally you know, work its way out and, and iron itself out. And yeah, and that's maybe one problem that Fulham had back in um, September, really. We had a lot of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday games and Fulham seemed to run a little bit out of steam, particularly by the, got, by the time we got to the end of that run. And that's maybe because we didn't have all of those options and we weren't able to rotate. As you say, we've got three games in a week this week. Then there's the international break. Then I think it's back straight into three games in a week because we've got Derby midweek. There's plenty of midweekers. There's plenty of football to be played and there's plenty of scope to be able to use all the players. Yes, it's tough to get everyone into one starting 11, but as, as Jack, I think rightly points out, there's, there's a lot of room for rotation. Um, 
Ben, Fulham Transfer asks this. I know Mitro will get the plaudits, but this run coincides with Rodak coming back in. Surely he's a big part of the run. Um, pretty convincing run of results, at least for Rodak. He's had to pull off one or two big saves kind of per game as well. Uh, three clean sheets in a row. Considering Fulham went on a run of seven without a clean sheet, it feels harsh just to pin all of that on the goalkeepers as well. There's been some circumstance in there as well, but it's certainly done Rodak no harm. And right now I cannot see a change really, barring a long run of mistakes from, from Rodak. Yeah, I think Rodi's been so assured at the back. Um, and it's no coincidence that that clean sheet has coincided with his recall to the team. I think he's been brilliant in commanding his area and his communication is just a cut above. I think obviously distribution wise, I, I think he's looked pretty good as well. Like He's a very well-rounded keeper is Rodi. And I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago on the pod in that he's just got this typical European approach to playing as a goalkeeper. He commands his box well. He claims balls. He doesn't like to punch them. He likes to feel much more secure. And I think that what I've always had, I've always had an ongoing side chat with Jack about keepers that come from the sort of like Balkan region slash Slovenia, Slovakia, around that sort of like middle sort of like of Europe. And I, I wonder like, if there's just an undercurrent of keepers that are so good coming out of these nations because they play like handball, water polo, that sort of stuff in their in their youth, and that's why Rodi is so good at being so physical and um, commanding and not minding taking, you know, the the physicality and and the contact that he may get from game to game in in leagues like the Championship and the Premier League, you know, where uh, someone like Gazaniga who w- would have been taught to punch and kick and flap, well, not flap, obviously, no, no one gets told to flap as a goalkeeper, <laughs> but, but um, but so like to punch, to kick, and and to get the ball away in in any means possible. Was I think as as I said, like Rodi is used to having that physical contact. I, I think like the link between Mitrovic and 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 Rodak and having like the upturning results is is a little tenuous in itself, but I do see where the person's coming from in that. With Rodak, we seem so much more assured at the back. I mean, like the back four is almost tightened up. You know, three clean sheets on the bounce now. It's it's a it's a very good uptick in form, um, and I think that this is what you need. Like as as we've spoken about on the pod many many times, to get out of this league, you have to score a lot of goals. But more importantly, you have to keep them out for when people like Mitrovic aren't going to be, as we discussed in the previous question, like when when people like Mitrovic is going to be injured or tired or just not firing then you have to win games 1-0. You have to park a ball your way out of the league. And with Rodak in that, I feel much more confident than I did with Gazaniga. Although I do think that there is not a massive gap in terms of how good they both are, but they're just very, very different keepers. And I think Rodak is much more suited to this league. It's still only 24 as well. People people keep forgetting. Yeah. And I, I, he rarely puts a foot wrong at all. He's such a solid goalkeeper all round. And at such a young age, I think he's got the potential to really become, you know, a, a top, top... He's already a class keeper. That's well established. But, you know, talking top tier goalkeeper and um, yeah I'm all for all for Rodak no, like if, if Ariola hadn't been as good as he was last year imagine how imagine the uproar in the fan base that Rodak was discarded as quickly as he was la- at the beginning of last season like Ariola was Champions League level goalkeeper and it sort of like swept the conversation about Rodak under the carpet and I, I there's a part of me that can't really believe that he got discarded again at the start of this season 
for Gazaniga when I think he suits our side of play much better. But sure, but he, was, he also wasn't he also wasn't part of the preparations because obviously he was off and, and, uh, and yes. doing some international things. So you know that's always going to give Gazaniga an advantage. Obviously, is mm. someone that he obviously Marcus ever wanted. Rodak's now worked his way back into the side. I don't think he's you know, going to lose his place again um, unless something really drastic happens and and that's fine. But it's also, I think, not necessarily a good thing in terms of how how it's all panned out, but I think it's a good thing in terms of, you know, he's, he's learning those kind of lessons of it's not always going to go your way straight away. Keep bouncing back, keep working hard and you will get those opportunities. When you get those opportunities, you have to take them. And Matt Rodick has done that time and time again. And uh, again, really glad to see him back in the side as well. I thought Gazaniga got a little bit more stick than perhaps he deserved just because he wasn't Rodak, um, which was a little bit in, I think, sometimes like the whole Bettinelli and Button thing years back where, you know, it was just the he wasn't Marcus Bettinelli and everyone loved Marcus Bettinelli because he came through the academy. Um, and maybe some of the stick was a little bit harsh. I thought that uh, Gaznik is a really good shot stopper. I don't think he's, as, uh, you know, as good a keeper all round as Rodak, but I don't think there's that much between them either right at this point. Um, but I'm glad to have Rodak back in. I think we look a little bit more secure with him in there. And I just think that as a long-term option, it's a better person to have in the side. Uh, but yeah, I think that there's that kind of element of the fan base is always going to be a little bit reticent to take to a new keeper when you have someone that you know is as quality as Marek Rodak in the back, he's now earned his spot again. I don't think he's going to lose it. When's the last time, and I genuinely don't think I can remember the answer to this, where we started and ended a season with the same keeper? Schwartz, sir? Ask Don Betts knows this stat off the top of his head. It's a going back a while. I, I mean, I'm genuine. I think maybe the whole championship we didn't. Jack's on it with the uh, with the research to to find out. So we will come back to the, that. The first one. year we went up with Bettinelli was with he he not no, played entire season. No, because Sergio Rico came in and took the gloves, didn't he? Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, um, great keeper. Matt Wall um, just gives us a good stat, really, which is the fact that we've had seven shots on target in the past two games and scored seven goals, which is uh, a nice one. So thank you for that one, Matt. Probably slightly uh, find- unsustainable as well. Um, we yeah, a little bit. He d- that was part of his point was like, okay, I don't know how long we're going to keep up having 100% scoring from our shots on target. but um, uh, Never. Um, Paul Budd asks the final question, says, given Mitro's prolific goal return and excellent link-up play, he must be attracting attention from Premier League teams. What's the likelihood someone like Leeds, Newcastle or Palace to remain in London, try to lure him away? Um, Jarms, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. A few people have went, you know, with Newcastle's new money um, have, have talked about it. I, I'd like to think it's unlikely, but it's also football and, you know, there's not much loyalty in this this old game. I think Newcastle are probably going to have ideas a little bit above their station this January. And I feel like they'll be, with, with no disrespect to Mitrovic, and I don't mean this badly at all, I think they'll be looking for a striker that is a little bit more of a headline statement than Mitrovic. Palace are a bit of a strange one, but I, I kind of feel like they're kind of finding their groove right now. Um with Ben Take up front and they've somehow managed to get him firing, which I never thought would ever happen in a million years. Um, I guess there will always be Premier League suitors because he's a, he's a player that's proven to play at that level. And as you say, there's so many more assets to assets to his game um, and, and so many that he's bringing to the fore in, in this year as well. I think, as we've spoken about on this podcast before, like he's very intelligent in the build-up and he's actually quite a good passer now um, under Marco Silva. And I think, again, that's the confidence that coach has in him. But I don't think he'll be going anywhere in Jan. I really can't see him going. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for all your questions today. Jack, have you managed to find the answer? No, I thought I'd got a cheat one with Andy Lonergan, but it's not. So I'm, I'm still I'm still going. So. All right. We'll wait till the end of the podcast for Jack to do his uh, brilliant Googling. Uh, we're going to take a break and have a quick look ahead to Blackburn on Wednesday. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by George Cooper, Jack Collins, Ben Jarman. Blackburn on Wednesday up to Ewood Park. One of those away trips that definitely separates the men from the boys as to who's turning up to this one. Uh, all the Johnny come lately from Fulhamish going to the Peterborough game. Be interesting to see who makes it up to Blackburn. I'm going to guess Don Betts, Jack Kelly. I reckon that might be it. I actually really fancied this one. Freddie Cooper. Enjoy- <laughs> Freddie Cooper might be. No, surely it's a school night. Yeah, if he wasn't at college, then he'd definitely be up there on the rattler. Anyway, Blackburn, they're having a good season. They're just outside the playoffs. Um, ben Brereton, as we mentioned earlier, has been the headline act. 12 goals for Blackburn this season. Uh, he's the man that uh, is chasing Mitrovic in the golden boots, Halley, by uh, quite some distance. Sam Gallagher, though, also having a decent season on five. And I think this may be one of our hardest games so far of the season. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think Blackburn have been quietly impressive in in, in kind of spurts. They've, they've they've kind of a little bit been here and there, and and I think that they're they're not going to be one of these teams that's consistently going to challenge. But I do think that on their day, they're good enough to almost beat anyone, which makes them arguably more dangerous because you know they'll be in that they're going to be in that playoff conversation without necessarily having the consistency to to make it work over the, the whole course of a whole season. You see some games where they play really, really well, and they had a good result against Coventry. They played really well against Reading, and then suddenly they got turned over by Blackpool and Huddersfield. Now, obviously, there's no shame in being turned over by Blackpool, especially at Blackpool. Um, but, but on the whole, you know, sometimes they feel like they're a really, really good side waiting to explode, and sometimes they feel like they're a side that is occasionally overperforming itself. So it, they're a quite a, a tricky one to kind of work with but I do think that that Sam Gallagher John Buckley and Ben Brereton is a really nice little three it kind of rotates very nicely Buckley in particular really young uh, I think he was a Man United trainee if I'm not mistaken a couple of years back and he's started to find his feet at Blackburn now and, and you know we know about Ben Brereton Diaz he, he, he was good enough a long time ago and ever since he went to Chile and, and took in that environment and the whole story is amazing. And if you haven't read Ben Burton Diaz's story, please go and read it because it's absolutely nuts. Um, but on the whole, I think when you look at it and you see what he did and when he went out to Chile without speaking a word of Spanish and went into these training camps, that could that can make or break you, I think, as a player. You know, he went and, and, and he's come back a far better player for it, a much more rounded player. He's a, he's developed his positional sense so much in over the course of the last year and it's really turned into a, a very, very special championship player, I think, and someone who's probably ready for or a step up to the next level um, and will be playing Premier League football one way or another within the next two years. So on the whole, I think that Blackburn are going to be an interesting case. I think this is going to be a really tricky game. Ben Brereton's Chile experience reminds me of someone that went on a school exchange, came back, uh, only eats paella, speaks fluent Spanish, has completely changed <laughs> and now only refers to themselves as Sammy Hammers um, entirely. <laughs> and it's just that's, that's Ben in the Basque country, isn't it? It is yeah. me, yeah. Didn't that happen to you, Sammy, when you did your exchange program out in France? Well, no, because I'm the only person that did a French degree and still can't speak the language, but somehow <laughs> managed to get a two-one. It's 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 um... Sammy Joms. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy Joms. Uh, yeah, Ben. Sorry, I cut you off. 
one of the things I wanted to say is if you really want to get the know-how and, and the lowdown on Brent Brereton's sort of journey to Chile, listen to the Ranks FC podcast yeah. on it, actually. It's a very, very good podcast uh, with Ali Maxwell from Not The Top 20. So maybe Jack can like drop the link in the comments uh, to our tweet. But yeah, um, really, really good podcast. I enjoyed listening to that one. That was a very, very decent listen. Also, one of the things we haven't touched on yet is that Teo Erdogan, Plays for Blackburn Rovers. He's currently playing left back and doing very, very well after a move from uh, Lincoln. Yes, he is. Uh, I never forget the uh, the Jack Collins famous song first for Ty Edan. Do you want to give it uh, one more outing, Jack? Did you see Ty Edan starts on the left wing? <laughs> starts on the left wing, ends on the right one. Um, it was good. <laughs> it was a good one. I enjoyed that. I felt like your delivery wasn't what it once should was. I, should, I do that should, should I go again? <laughs> I mean, feel free, go for it. I mean, this is all staying on tape. Have you, have you got like a re- again if you're gonna? I'm not gonna do it like again a, if you're not taking it out. Re- oh. re- re- have you got like uh, a rewind a re- rewind sign? Of, sound I don't know what all the it. buttons do. We can play Lucky Dip and see if I've got one. <laughs> no, I think we'll. No, that's, no, not, that's that not it. No, oh, I've accidentally played I the full horn. I've accidentally done the horn. <laughs> no, I haven't. I got think one, we should. Sorry. I think we should stop there. I think that'll do. That'll do nicely. Post podcast, let's edit in the rewind, the decks, and the re up. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Um, okay. Well, we'll see how we get on uh, against Blackburn. Um, only two sides to, to win at Ewood Park this season. West Brom, as you'd expect, and Morecambe, interestingly, in the first round of the EFL on, Cup. The Big shoes for Fulham to fill potentially on Wednesday against Blackburn. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, a little bit ridiculous and the sublime on the pods today, but I think we're all just pretty chirpy after Fulham's win yesterday at the Cottage. And uh, we'll be back Wednesday, Thursday. We don't exactly know how we're going to do the podcast this week. It's going to be a little bit um, rushed, I imagine, to try and get out some Blackburn reaction, but we will because we know our duty uh, to always podcast after every match and I'm sure we'll uh, where there's a will there's a way uh, in order to get a podcast out later this week last thing we need to do is name the podcast so Coops what are you going for? I think there were far too many suggestions on this one to ignore it so we're going to go for Hat Trick a Treat and uh, lots of people came in so sorry if um, it's a collective effort it's a community also can I just say one final thing before we uh, concludes. I just want to give a shout out to the dude on Putney High Street yesterday who was playing what can only be described as a sort of piano electronic kazoo thing that looks like uh, he'd, he'd made himself. <laughs> and there's a video circulating around on Twitter of um, a group of youths, uh, one of which uh, was my little brother singing the Jean-Michel Seri song with him. And it just really made me smile. I thought it was hilarious. And just one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I love this club so much is nutty little eccentric things like that that happen. So you know who you are, fella. Keep doing, you do you, keep going. Like It's just so much fun. It's the funny thing about this yesterday is I went for a pint after the game and I was really hungry. So I went to that, the tortilla shop that was right by where that guy was playing that weird <laughs> kazoo piano thing. Obviously had no idea that all this had happened, but I literally spent, you know, 15 minutes eating, munching on a tortilla. That seems quite a long time to be eating a tortilla anyway. Um, watching this guy kind of mesmerized by this instrument that he, as you say, it did look like 
he'd made himself. And then, yeah, to then suddenly look at my phone this morning and see your brother dancing around singing, we've got Siri um, to it was, was, a, was a bizarre moment, but beautiful. So yeah, props to you. What I want to know is, was, was he already playing that tune and they started singing along to him? Or did they go up to him and say, can you do yeah. um, Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus? And then we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> really we'll do the rest. as well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just it was brilliant, brilliant moment. Taking requests, can you? <laughs> yeah. Bit of an and also not unless you were like maybe uh, okay with football culture, quite random for a load of sixteen-year-olds to go up with a Billy Ray Cyrus request <laughs> as well. Just like, okay, I can give it a go. Why? Why do you want that? You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Amazing. Well, thank you for very much for listening today, and thank you to my guest George Cooper. Cheers, Zoe. Thank you, Jack Collins. 2012-13 was the last season that Fulham started and ended the season with the same goalkeeper. Although the season afterwards, 2013-14, David Stockdale came on as a sub for Martin Stecklenburg in our first game of the season and was also in goal for the last game of the season. So I don't know if that counts. No, no, because it's 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 the it's the it's who's symbolic... in goal with the first minute, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's the Schwab. symbolic who was cho- who was who was like given the your number one this season. Yeah. It's, it's it's Schwartz, twenty twelve thirteen. My God, that's a hell of a record. There you go. Nearly ten years, and still like, not. I mean, we'll see if it gets broke, and almost certainly next year it will be the exact same as well. It's it's a rite of passage with supporting Fulham. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Though. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you, and great great googling as ever. And Ben Jarman, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Very, very nice to be on. Yeah, lovely podcast today. Hope you enjoyed listening. Have a great start to your week. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites. You whites. Need a wee. Really need a wee.